You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. You're listening to Smashed from The Ensemblist, the only podcast that shows you Broadway from the inside out. I'm Mo Brady. And I'm Aaron Albano. Hurry, hurry, step right up. See the star who lives for the spotlight. Turn the mics and cameras on. Welcome back, listeners, to our tongue-in-cheek recap of what is still the Broadway community's favorite TV show, Smash. Yes, we're talking about the NBC series that aired from 2012 to 2013. Smash was also an incredible glimpse into the theater community in the early 2010s, as many of the show's writers, actors, and dancers were played by real Broadway performers with real Broadway cred. I like imagining fake Broadway performers with fake Broadway cred. Fake Broadway cred. <laughs> like I, I'm just imagining like robots. That, okay, there you go. All right, but we wanted to go back in time to see how the show has weathered, what it got right, and what it got very, very wrong. So let's dive in and talk about season one, episode seven, the workshop. Aaron, give us the stats. The workshop premiered on March nineteenth, twenty twelve. It was written by Jason Grote and directed by Mimi Leader. The episode premiered to 6.56 million viewers, down about half a mil from the previous week. Being the workshop presentation, we basically saw excerpts of all the original music from Bombshell by Mark Shaman and Scott Whitman that we have seen thus far. But we also saw a new song called On Lexington and 52nd Street in its entirety, which closed out the presentation. We also saw a cover of Colby Kelly's Brighter Than the Sun, but the tour de force number we got to see was Everything's Coming Up Roses from Gypsy, being sung by you-know-who, who we'll get to in a second. And what happens in this episode, Mo? Man, investors are coming in tomorrow to watch the workshop presentation of Bombshell. The flame is hot between Julia Houston and Michael Swift canoodling in the hallways outside of the rehearsal room. <laughs> okay, Ivy Lynn arrives at rehearsal with her mother, Lee Conroy, who just happens to be a veteran Broadway star in her own right. With only a day before the presentation, rehearsal pauses so that Ms. Conroy can wow the company of Bombshell with an impromptu rendition of Everything's Coming Up Roses. Moments later, rehearsal pauses yet again when Michael Swift's wife and son barge into the room, causing Julia to storm out of rehearsal and leave. Again, this is all happening the day before the presentation. Mm. With all the personal drama combined with the rehearsal buildings seemingly crumbling under their feet, Derek Wells wonders if the project is cursed. But Eileen Rand, our producer, promises him that Bombshell will be a hit because Marilyn deserved it. Lee Conroy won her Tony without drugs, but it doesn't look like Ivy Lynn will be able to claim the same accomplishment, taking sleeping pills the night before the presentation. She confides in Tom Hewitt that her mother is doing everything she can to undermine her, and Karen Cartwright is being handed everything on a plate. The workshop begins with Ivy singing to a swelling imaginary orchestra, but it's Karen who we see dreaming of performing the role of Marilyn. With highlights of the fantasy sequences we've seen from the TV series' first six episodes, we watch both the workshop and the watching of the workshop. Everyone seems to be a bit off their game, though, with Ivy falling in a lift, Karen falling off a platform, and Michael Swift falling head over heels in love with Julia. See what I did there? I did. Amidst, amidst 
amidst the drama, Karen Cartwright records a demo for Bobby Raskin across the street and wins over yet another potential critic with her vocals. The next morning at 6 a.m., she gets woken up by the call that Raskin wants to meet her, but she skips it to perform in the workshop. The rest of the ensemble questions her decision, but she says she wouldn't have missed it for the world. After the workshop... Ivy confronts her mother by drawing a comparison between herself and Marilyn. Both were sad and drug-afflicted women whose mothers didn't love them. Lee tells her that she knows how difficult the business can be, and even though she wishes Ivy would do something else with her life, her day will come because she is truly talented. The team also contemplates the future of Bombshell, and whether Ivy Lynn or Michael Swift will be part of that future at all. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> All right. Favorite performance by an ensemble. And I should say, we're seeing everyone who's in the Bombshell Ensemble mm-hmm. of the workshop, but also everyone we've seen in the fantasy sequences from episode one, episode two, episode... So it's like it's like the reunion. Everyone's all here. A lot of the numbers were really, really great. But my favorite was, I think another return from commercial, was a pan of the rehearsal room where Manny Stark Santos is giving you... At least four pirouettes into like an extension of his leg. It was gorgeous. I had to rewind it and watch it again because he's that good of a dancer and I was gagged. I want to talk about, do you think he was choreographed to do that? Or do you think they were just like, everyone get ready for the workshop. Just do whatever. And then just, he was like, like rehearsing. boom, boom, he boom, was, boom. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, it was gorgeous and it was the definitely thing- in the background. I, it probably was just him fooling The thing around. you have to think about is that the people who play ensemble dancers on a television show are so far down the totem pole. When you are working on a shot, you are wondering if the camera is going to work correctly and the audio is working and the, and the lights, right? Mm-hmm. And the makeup and the... Co- like, whatever Manny's doing in the back is probably like at the bottom of the list of things. So I I can only imagine that either the choreographer, Josh Bragas, was like, Manny, do some turns. Or someone was like, just warm up. And then he did turns and yeah, they got I see- put in. I secretly hope he was just like fooling around and pirouetting and it just happened to be on camera. And uh, that's the take that they used. And it was top notch. Good job, Manny. That's how you get on TV. Other favorite ensemblist moments, Aaron? Oh, yes. Two scenes that are just so real to life was A, when Bobby and Karen are just pre-workshop, where they're just like behind the curtain and looking at who's there and then talking about when they they spot the agent from CAA. Oh, yeah. So they, they spot who's in the audience from behind a curtain and then just start talking and talking about all of his clients on who could replace Ivy. It was so shady, but also so real. Anybody and everybody would do that. <laughs> After the workshop, when they're all just kind of kikiing and sort of reliving the workshop, especially when Karen falls off the platform and they're all la- giving her crap about it, it was, I was like, this is the community. Yeah, that's the, that was like the most real moment of the entire series. Especially like everybody knows each other's business. All of them are like happy for Karen. And chiding her for missing her meeting, but like happy for her. Everybody's all supportive. Everyone's reliving what they all just did. It was great. 
that feels so theater. Like, let's go do the thing and then immediately afterwards talk about how we just did the thing. It would only be more perfect if they were, if they were like at Denny's just talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> All right. So I have two Obano fact checks this time. Oh, okay, great. Uh, the first is in rehearsal when Jessica says to Linda, the stage manager, Karen needs to take off an hour or two. Is that going to be okay? An hour? She says an hour or two? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So this is so she can go record. Have you ever gone to a stage manager and said, I need to leave rehearsal for an hour or two for another job? Here's the thing. (laughs) If it were the day before the workshop, probably not. First couple days within the work, like into the workshop, I think sure. Just because what I do love about Linda and her attitude to her, A, I was like, Linda is the most forgiving stage manager I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Where she was like, it should be fine. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sure we're running the show at some point today. Probably an hour or two would not be great. But, <laughs> but like, at the same time, I'm like, if there's anybody who understands these actors, if they're getting paid something higher, if they have an audition for something that will be paying them higher than here, they got to go. Of course, there's a grace period of that where that's okay. Maybe like in the first week, the mm-hmm. day before the presentation. No, the day before the presentation, you are in the building. I don't care what you got. You are all called. It's like the high school musical. Everyone has to be there sitting around the cafetorium, whether you're not, you're on stage because we just need to run the thing. We just need to run the thing. Get your head in the game and, <laughs> and do the show. My other... Albano fact check is when Bobby, our truth teller, (laughs) Wes Taylor, says, you're making $200 a week for this. You're in the chorus and Bobby Raskin wants to meet with you. My question is, is that amount of money accurate? In order to be in a workshop, would you get paid $200 a week? Probably somewhere between $600 and $900. Definitely not $200. So enough that would make you think, oh, I should stay here and not walk out of the room. Well, definitely not if you just are leaving without telling anyone and not like the one thing that I do love when Karen is like, I wouldn't do that. Good. Good. (laughs) That's great that you wouldn't do that because that's shady as F. Yeah. I think that my guilt ridden conscience would be like, if I leave, even if they give me permission, I will never get hired for the show ever again. And I either need to show up for this production or be willing to let it go. Like the way Jessica and Bobby were like, this is nothing. You should just go. Wow, what kind of etiquette are you guys promoting right now? <laughs> but there's so there's those ensemble people who have another offer coming down the pike. Sure. When you're hot, you're hot. When you're when you're Jessica and Bobby. They could just walk into any Broadway show. Yeah. And act however Jeez. they want. <laughs> I think we should address the redheaded are we here curly haired oh my god bernadette icon elephant in the room (laughs) bernadette peters is here all right so was waiting for this episode just like you aaron we can Mm. tell that smash has such a boner for bernadette (laughs) peters (laughs) so bernadette peters plays ivy lynn's mother lee conroy Mm -hmm. i love that she has a stage name or or ivy has a stage name i love they don't have the same last name i thought and i love that they don't address it Whose last name is whose last name? Like, do you think Ivy Lynn's real name is, it's really Ivy Conroy? It's got to be Ivy Conroy, right? Because 
She is billed as a special guest star, Bernadette Peters. She comes in and in her first scene on Smash, they just have her sing a number from a Broadway show that she was in. Like, there's just no hiding the fact that everyone has a boner for Bernadette Peters, which is, which is right and good. Everything yes. is right in the world. Oh, but I was know, like, every, like, live, everyone was gagged when she walked onto the screen. Everyone was like, oh, Bernadette that's here just like i was and you're like oh man it would be great if she sang from gypsy like <laughs> and and just she the does. most fan service there is it's my favorite thing about lee conroy entering the room is she is an explanation of the person that ivy has become what was gr- what was great about having her on the show and especially especially in the scenes where it was ivy and lee megan and bernadette equals titans because they were stellar together what do you think of the workshop of bombshell what we got to see of it do you think it's a good show i liked it i will say i do too i really liked i thought there was a really strong despite the heat i thought it was a really (laughs) strong presentation like i literally wrote down because i forgot about the last scene yeah this show would absolutely get funding right isn't that the point but then we don't talk about that's not that's not like well apparently it gets reviewed which i was like when is a workshop presentation reviewed i think it's a fine show but then in this the very last scene we're not talking about the success of the show we're talking about whether ivy's gonna stay on with it we're talking about whether michael's gonna stay on with it it's so fast because they immediately start talking about because apparently, despite us watching a great presentation with tons of potential, all of the reviews or the buzz is bad for it. And so they're like, okay, let's figure out how we can fix this. Mm-hmm. Which, yes, does it need work? Everybody was saying it needs work, sure. But I was like, to immediately go to replacing your only two principles in your workshop. Oh, yeah. Oh, my favorite part of the workshop is the two actors that come out and do bows at the end. They were like, like, who are they? Who are you? (laughs) Yeah. Why have you never been called at a rehearsal that I've seen? I haven't seen you at all. It's also hard to believe that they can't find backing for a Marilyn Monroe musical written by these great musical theater writers who have a show currently on Broadway, shows that have been in London. Like, obviously, you would think that through their Broadway successes, they would have built up cred with investors. Mm-hmm. And so they wouldn't have to be working so hard. Fair. The other thing that I thought about is what world is this Broadway in? Because that's actually so few shows are looking for investors like this from a workshop. Let's be honest. They're looking for a regional theater to go do an out-of-town tryout for it. That's Mm. how it would really work in the real world, is they would do this presentation, and then ART or La Jolla or Old Globe, any one of these regional... Paper Mill. Any (laughs) one of these regional theaters would be like, great, let's do a production. And then they would do a production. Then they would be able to get the capital for it. That's actually how Broadway works in the 21st century. Fair. That's real. That's absolutely real. And so this sort of like fake way of this like seven million or of, nothing. Yeah. No, totally. Yeah. <laughs> it's like either we need seven million or the thing can't happen at all. Yeah. The traffic stops for the queen of the movies. The center falls live in the flesh. So get a ringside seat. You want to see what her husband sees. Just wait for the next subway breeze. Right here on Lexington and 52nd Street. 
Special thanks to Aaron Albano for joining us for this mini-series. The Ensemblist was produced today by me, Mo Brady. Meanwhile, to stay part of our ongoing Smash analysis, be sure to watch the next episode, The Coup, before next week's recap. You can find all episodes of Smash either on the NBC app or at NBC.com. Please help others find out about The Ensemblist by leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. You can also download episodes wherever you get your podcasts or at TheEnsemblist.com. And you can follow The Ensemblist on Instagram to see the latest posts from our website where we share the stories of talented artists working in Broadway ensembles and the latest episodes of Smashed. Thanks for listening, guys. Until next time. Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network.